now. Thank you. <laughs> we will now. Uh, I will say a word of prayer, and then we will hop right in. Heavenly Father, thank you just again for your peace that you have given us, peace with you, uh, peace with one another, and peace uh, that surpasses all understanding. I just pray that as we are in your word this morning, as we come together to hear from you, Lord, would you speak, and that your peace would just reign in this room this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever said or done anything that you've regretted or been embarrassed about, but I've known I've had plenty of opportunities to be embarrassed about things that I've said or done. And sometimes I've become so embarrassed or regret it so much that I'll even lie awake at night thinking about what I said and what I did and wishing that it had gone differently. Yep. But there, there's a guy that we're going to be learning about today in Luke 1 who he had a similar circumstance. He said something that he probably wished afterwards he hadn't said. It ended up costing him nine months of not being able, nine months or more, of not being able to talk. And so today in Luke 1, we're going to be learning about this man, and his name is Zechariah. And we find him first introduced to us in Luke 1. And it says that he is a priest of God, and that he um, is married to uh, his wife Elizabeth, and it says that they serve the Lord faithfully all their days. But they also could not have children. And so one day, uh, Zechariah was chosen to go into the temple, and as he goes into the temple, uh, he meets, as he goes in, there's this angel that appears to him, an angel of the Lord. And naturally, uh, Zechariah is uh, frightened by this encounter that he's having with this angel, um, but the angel says, do not be afraid, as angels typically do. And the angel said, do not be afraid, and, but the angel also said that you are going to have a son because your prayers, your and your wife's prayers have been answered. And he tells him that his, he's to name his son John and that his, his son John would be filled with the spirit and power of Elijah and that he would be uh, to, his purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. So then fast forward um, after, well, quick before that, then when Eli or Zechariah hears that, he, he doubts it because his, uh, he and his wife are very old, and he says, how could this be? And the angel tells him that he, because he doubted, that this will still come to pass, but you will not be able to talk until the baby is born. So then fast forward nine months or so, and uh, Elizabeth gives birth to a son. And uh, as the people come to meet with Elizabeth to see the new baby boy, um, they, it's the friends and family and neighbors, and they want to see, well, are you going to name him Zechariah after his father? But Elizabeth says, no, no, his name is going to be John. And so the people are like, what, what? That's, that's not right. Because in that time, in their culture, they would name the child, typically this firstborn son, after the father. And so then they go to Zechariah, who still cannot talk, and they say, Zechariah, what are you going to name your son? And Zechariah asks for something to write with, and so they give him something to write with, and he writes, his name is John. And, and the verses, the scripture says that as he writes this down, his mouth is open, and he speaks blessing and praises to God. Now, um, we're going to be going over what it is that Zechariah said in his blessings, 
uh, to God. But before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about the fact that this is Zechariah's um, response after having been silent for about probably nine months or so. Because um, something that just stuck out to me is whenever we go through a hard time or a trial or a, a difficult circumstance, we have one or two uh, options, one or two things that we can do. We can either distance ourselves from God and grow bitter with him and angry, or we can press in. We can go to the God, we can go to him, and we can, can sit with him in his presence. We can listen to what he has to speak to us about the circumstance. And um, I feel like, you know, we have these two options, and we really don't know what Zechariah did during the, that time of silence, but we do know that his response was to speak these blessings towards God. And I feel like this came out of a place of being in the presence of God. He came in and, and he, he focused on the Lord instead of focusing on the fact that he couldn't talk or, or the things that he wished he hadn't said that led to him not being able to talk. And I think when we have this mindset in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a circumstance that is hard, what happens is we... We, we grow in our intimacy and relationship with the Lord. And instead of growing distant from him and distancing ourselves from him, we grow closer to him. And it takes the focus off of ourselves and our circumstance and puts the focus back on the Lord. And, 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 when, and when, when we do this, our response will be similar to Zechariah's because when we go to the Lord, whenever we sit with him and when we go to him and we listen to him and we go to his word and learn about him, we taste and see that he is good. And we experience the tender mercies of our Lord in his presence, in the midst of our hard circumstances. And so I just, I just took that as an encouragement from Zechariah's story, just off the bat there, that he took that time of silence. You know, whatever it was that he was doing in that time, it seems that what came out of him was blessing towards God. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. He was loving the Lord because he had spent time with him. And, and I think... Whenever we see that, it's just an encouragement for us to spend time, right? Whenever there's, there's a busyness of something that we're going through, a trial, or just the busyness of life, especially this week leading up till Christmas, you know, there's a lot of things that are on our minds, last-minute shopping, uh, Christmas parties, you name it. But the Lord is inviting us into that intimacy day by day, into that to spend time with Him in His presence. And so I just want to encourage you all just... As this week goes on, whatever you've got going on, whether you're going through a trial or not, to just spend time with the Lord, to hear from him, to pour out your heart to him, to speak to him and listen to what he has to say, and um, just learn about him from his word. So just, just wanted to, to take that as an encouragement. I know I was encouraged as I read for that, and I uh, just want to encourage you all with that as well. But now... Now that we've seen that Zechariah responded this way from his time of silence, now we're going to uh, look at what it is that Zechariah said, what it is that he said exactly in his blessing, because there's a lot of things that we can learn about um, the arrival of Jesus and what it means for us as we anticipate Christmas, as we, in, as we celebrate Advent, the coming of our Lord. We can, we can learn some things from this passage in Luke 1 about our coming, about Jesus' coming. So let's pick it up now in Luke 1 and verse 68. We read this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So as we study this blessing that Zechariah spoke, we're, as I said, we're going to learn some things in these three key truths about the arrival of Jesus. And the first truth this morning is this. The arrival of Jesus means that God keeps his promises. The arrival of Jesus means that God keeps his promises. Now, to fully understand what was going on in Zechariah's, in this moment when the angel comes to him, what was going on in the time in Israel when this was all going down, we need to understand what had happened prior to this. So as we read through the Old Testament, we see this constant theme that that man is unable, because we are sinners, to meet God's standard of righteousness. And so God um, is continuing to long suffer with these people that he has chosen throughout the Old Testament as they continually, time and time again, turn away from him. But God is continuing, continually through that, telling them about his plan of redemption and salvation. That from the very beginning, when man first sinned, God had a plan of salvation to redeem his people. And, and one of the ways that God would speak this plan was through prophets. And 17 of the 39 books of the Old Testament are dedicated to some of the words of some of these prophets who spoke of God's promise of redemption and hope throughout the Old Testament. And the final book of the Old Testament, as well as the final prophet of the Old Testament, was Malachi. And just like all the other prophets before him, he spoke of this plan of salvation that God was going to bring to pass. And so let's pick up now in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, because it has something very interesting to what we're reading today. It says this in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter darkness, destruction. And so that sounds pretty familiar, right? Especially the part about Elijah. And so this prophecy was the final prophecy of Malachi. And it was the final prophecy as well of the Old Testament. It's the last two verses of the Old Testament. And for us, we can just flip a few pages and then we're in the New Testament and we can see the, that God is fulfilling his plan of salvation that he has been promising throughout the Old Testament. But for these people, the original audience of Malachi, they heard this word spoken through Malachi from God. And then after that, there was 400 years of silence. For 400 years, God did not speak through a single prophet or another person. And the last word that they remembered from God was from the prophet Malachi, who said, Behold, I will send you the prophet Elijah. And then God sends an angel to a priest named Zechariah 400 years later, and he says this to him in Luke 1, 16 through 17. And he, talking about the birth of John the Baptist, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is an exact reference and connection to the prophecy that was spoken 400 years before by Malachi. 
And here, now in the temple with Zechariah, this, God is speaking through this angel to Zechariah that John the Baptist will be the fulfillment of this 400-year-old prophecy from Malachi. And as a good priest, he would have known this prophecy, and he would have known about the coming of the prophet Elijah or the spirit of Elijah. And so that was why it was such a big deal when he, the angel spoke this and he doubted. And he, he doubted and the angel made, said that he would not be able to speak. And you have to think that, again, as he was silent, he was thinking about those last words that he heard from the angel. This, this word that connected to the prophecy of Malachi, that he was making that connection in his mind. And so, and we see that as, as Zechariah speaks again, he says, it says that he speaks this blessing talking about God's faithfulness to keep his promises. God's faithfulness to keep what he has spoken. And Zechariah recognized that the reference of Malachi's prophecy by the angel meant that the promise of the one who would bring this redemption, the Messiah, was soon to come. What seemed like an impossible situation with thousands of years of humanity continually over and over again falling short of God's glory, God's standard of righteousness, unable to live according to God's standard, God still sends his son to die for those people. And the arrival of Jesus means that God fulfills his promises. Scripture says that Jesus came at the fullness of time, which means that he came at the exact moment he was needed. Not a moment too soon or a moment too late. He came exactly when God had planned for him to come, that he would fulfill the promise of redemption made by God long ago, and he would bring the redemption and hope that we need. And God is faithful to keep and fulfill those promises. He was faithful to do it, and we see that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we see that Zechariah is celebrating this fact that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And now we're also going to see that Zechariah will talk about how God is faithful to keep those who he saves. So let's pick up now in verse 74 of Luke 1. It says this, That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Here we see that the arrival of Jesus shows that God is faithful to keep those who he saves. God is faithful to keep those who he saves. So I was recently talking with a friend about how there are times in my life when I feel like I am just so, like my walk with the Lord is just being, is so great. It's just exactly how it should be. I'm maturing. I'm doing um, these great things for the Lord. And I just feel like I'm at a good place with God. And then there's other times when I feel like I'm really blowing it, like I'm not doing the things that I feel like I should be doing as a believer, um, and I feel discouraged. And it's things like, you know, I'm not spending time with the Lord as, as much as I feel like I should or I want to, I desire to, but then there's this, this flesh in me that wants to sleep instead of waking up early. Or I, I know I should be loving to certain people and for my interactions with them, but then I am less loving with them. To put it lightly. But in those moments, and I, I feel so hopeless at times and broken because I feel like I should be up here in my maturity and my walk because I remember where I've been in the past, but I'm down here and, and I feel discouraged and trapped. But then the Lord is faithful to remind me of his promise to keep and preserve me and to, to long suffer me and his patience with me. 
And so the two main passages that the Lord always brings to my, to my heart and I'm always encouraged by, and I hope it's an encouragement to you if you find yourself in that place of discouragement this morning, is Philippians 1.6 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And I love these two passages because in the midst of my discouragement and feeling like I'm really blowing it as a believer, they take, they take the focus off of myself. They take the focus off of my inability and puts it back onto Jesus. Off of my weakness, because in my weakness, he is strong. And these verses show me that he was the one who began the work of redemption and sanctification in my life. It was his death on the cross that saved me, and now it is his in me to make me more and more into his image. And he doesn't grow impatient with my lack of maturity of where I think I should be because he is, he's the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's working in me, and it's by his spirit that I mature at all. And so I'm encouraged by that reminder. And this, the first Thessalonian passage also reminds me that um, it's he who called me in the first place. He called me to himself. And without him, I would have been completely lost in my sin. But he is calling me, continually calling me to himself, continually calling me to his, his good character and his, his love for me, continually calling me higher to live righteously before him, but continually calling me to rest in his mercy and his grace. And so, if you, again, if you find yourself in that place of discouragement this morning, allow the arrival of Jesus to remind you that he has delivered us from the hand of our greatest enemy, sin and death, so that now we can serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness. And he who called us, he's faithful and he will surely do it. But you may be wondering, how can I have that assurance? How can I know that I'm saved, how can I be saved in the first place? And the answer is found at the end of Zechariah's blessing, picking up in verse 76. He says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So from this we get our final truth. The arrival of Jesus brings the light of our salvation. The arrival of Jesus brings the light of our salvation. See, the first part of Zechariah's blessing was directed towards the general audience. But now, Zechariah specifically to his son, John. And John's purpose, it says, was to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah says that he will tell people of the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the tender mercies of God. And I love how Zechariah finishes it all in verse 79. He says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, we can't miss the significance of what is being said here. See, while it seems that we are living in incredibly dark times, and, and we are at times, but when Zechariah was saying this, 
they had been living in total darkness. Today, we are living after Jesus has already come. He lived his perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead. We are living after the true light has shown of this world. And in John 1, John says that Jesus, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And that his light shone into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And so today we are living in light of the fact that this gospel, this truth of salvation has come. But when Zechariah, when he's speaking this, the, the light was just about to come. The light was just about to break into the darkness. And when Jesus did come into the world, he's shown as the brightest light in the darkness. And his light was the hope of salvation for all who believe. A hope that does not disappoint and does not fade away. And this is what Zechariah was talking about at the end of his blessing. He was referring to this hope and light of the gospel that Jesus brings. And if you are maybe in here this morning and you were asking that question, how can I know that I can be saved? Look at God's light coming through the message of the gospel, through Jesus' arrival. That Jesus has shown his lightness, his light into the darkness. That the darkness could not overcome it. And that when, when we are stuck in our sin, our sin is, the, is, is referred to as that darkness of the shadow of death. The result of sin is death. But, but Jesus came to bring life and peace, like Tanner was talking about. That peace with God. And so as we repent of our sins, as we turn from living a life that is opposite of God, that is not living according to his standard of righteousness and holiness, when we repent of that and turn towards him, we're turning away from the darkness into the light. So I would encourage you this morning that if you, if you have yet to do that, if you've yet to re- repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you would do so. That you would turn away from the darkness of sin and turn towards the Jesus, the light of the gospel. And this is, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the light of salvation that the arrival of Jesus brings. And this is the wonderful reality that Zechariah was celebrating in his blessing. And this is also the reason why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate that Jesus fulfilled the promises of God spoken throughout the Old Testament. We celebrate that he who, who has begun the work of salvation in us, he has saved us, he will complete it. And we celebrate the glorious light of the gospel that has overcome the darkness. And I pray that, again, as the busyness of Christmas season, this week leading up to Christmas, of all the things that we need to do to get done, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, there's a lot of great things that we do to celebrate, and we want to celebrate. We encourage celebration. This is a time of celebration. But let's do it remembering what the arrival of Jesus means for us. That God keeps his promises that God keeps those who he saves, us, and that has brought his light into our darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this hope and this light that you've brought to us. Thank you that we um, were not left in our darkness, but you've shown your light. And I pray that those who are in the darkness today, those who have yet to turn from their sins and put their faith fully in you, I pray that they would hear this call, hear this call to yourself, and that they would respond in faith and belief. And I just pray that we, as we go out and we um, prepare to celebrate this Christmas season, would we remember um, 
right as we celebrate and that we would celebrate with even more joy and and vigor knowing that this is the hope of the gospel this is the this is the, where our our faith lies in that you came and you lived among us and you died for us and you rose from the dead and i pray that this would give